But let's begin this morning by reading Psalm 23. And we'll read the entire Psalm, only six verses. The Lord, or Yahweh, is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God's blessings upon our time this morning. Lord, although you have saved us by your grace, although you have given us new hearts, Lord, sin still dwells in the flesh. We have not reached full sanctification. Lord, this morning we want to say to you, we want to be like you. We want to walk in your ways. We want to have the mind of Christ in its fullness. So God, would you work through your word this morning that when we leave this place, that we might be a little bit more conformed to the image of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, he is the good shepherd who has given his life for the sheep. God, we thank you for this psalm. God, thank you for the relationship that we see between you and your people, the care for your people that you have, the provision, Lord, all that we have, all that we need is found in you. So, God, would you take your word by your spirit, illuminate it, make application to us, God, that we might apply it to our lives, that we might leave this place a different people. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So by the way of review, David declares in verse 1, the Lord or Yahweh is my shepherd. Again, he uses God's covenant name, God's personal name, God's holy name. His name is Yahweh, the unchanging, uncaused, ungoverned, eternal, self-existent, self-sufficient one. David says, Yahweh is my shepherd, and because he's my shepherd, I shall not want. (laughs) David means that there's no lack in him whatsoever, as we just read. So in the wilderness of this world, we see God's provision in our shepherd. In verses 2 through 6, David exposits what it means to, to say, I shall not want. And he begins with these words. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And as we've said in the wilderness of this world, the scriptures are the green pastures. So that the word of God is like green vegetation in the early spring. God's words are always fresh, always rich always tender, always satisfying. They are never exhausted. And once we are fed by them, we lie down in those promises, those truths of God. We appropriate them, and then we rest in them. 
He continues, he leads me in, excuse me, he leads me beside the still waters. So here David speaks of the graces of the Spirit, like resting waters. The Spirit of God cleanses, refreshes, gives life. He quenches thirst. He sustains. He gives peace. And even though we're walking through dark valleys, even though we're walking through the wilderness of this world, no matter what we face in this life, he leads us to that place of peace. Peace is possible even in the midst of turmoil. Therefore, he says in verse 3, he restores my soul. It is by the Spirit of God working through the Word of God that we're restored. And as we walk through this weary world, we desperately need continual restoration. We need the daily illumination and application of God's Word by the Spirit of God. That's what the Spirit does. Verse 3, he continues, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. The good shepherd faithfully guides his sheep into righteous living. He progressively sanctifies us. He sets us apart to holiness. He progressively leads us to live according to his likeness. Notice he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Righteous living is certainly for our good. It is our best. But by his grace, our holiness is for his glory, that his name would be exalted. He continues in verse 4, as we saw last week, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So no matter how dark the valley that we face, Even if we face death itself, may we say with David, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. My shepherd, you see, is Yahweh. He carries a rod called royal authority, even the rod of truth, the rod of his word. And that rod protects me. It lovingly disciplines me. It even identifies me. He also carries a staff, even the spirit of truth, who brings me close to himself and brings us all close to one another. And he gently guides with that rod up next to my side, that spirit next to me or in me. He guides me through the dark valleys of this life. He gives me comfort during those times. You see, with Yahweh as our shepherd, we have no reason to fear. So today we come to verse 5. And David writes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. During those long summer months, the shepherd would take his sheep to a distant land, to the summer ranges called the tablelands. David calls it here a table in verse 5. These were the remote and hard-to-reach grassy plateaus of the high mountain country, David wrote, you prepare a table before me. The shepherd would literally prepare the table for the sheep. He would look over the high country and find just the right grassy grassy meadow. He would carry with him salt and minerals to be distributed at specific locations for the benefit of his sheep. And then he would identify and destroy every poisonous weeds You see, some weeds are dangerous to sheep. They can cost especially a little lamb its own life. Although 
verse 2 and verse 5 both refer to grassy meadows. The green pastures of verse 2 symbolize spiritual rest, whereas the table or tablelands in verse 5 speak of spiritual nourishment, nutrition. The table here are the blessings of having a good shepherd. They're the blessings of the Christian walk. It is the God-prepared life of every believer which God has prepared for us. Picture David walking slowly over the rich tablelands ahead of his flock and after selecting the exact table from which his flock would graze. He would prepare it with great care and concern as a good shepherd would. He would search out any poisonous weeds and he would distribute salt and minerals through the meadow. This is how David describes the Lord, Yahweh, and his care. David says in verse 1, Yahweh, the eternal self-existing one, he is my shepherd. And then in verse 5, you, speaking of him, prepare a table before me. The parallel in the Christian life is clear. Just like sheep, we think we must try everything that's on the table of life. And just like sheep, we're often unaware of just how destructive some things can be. And if the Lord left us alone, we would feast on destructive things. But we have not left, we have not been left alone, have we? Not only is the good shepherd with us, as we saw in verse 4, he has gone before us. He has prepared a table before us in verse 5. He has provided the salt, the nutrition, the sustaining hydration. That's the point of that. So it's the preservation, the perseverance of the sheep that he provides. And he will, he will sustain his sheep to glory. He has also removed every danger greater than we can handle. And any temptation that remains He's made a way of escape. Everything left on the table of life is a part of his perfect plan. The details of life are not by happenstance. They're not accidents. They're all ordained by God. And he has a purpose in each and every detail. Understand each of us will graze in slightly different places on the table. We have different experiences. We face different issues, different problems, different temptations. And some things on the table of life will be difficult. But God is in control of everything that comes your way, that comes my way. He has prepared a table before us. And that table is exactly the table that God has sovereignly chosen for each of us. Think of that. Nothing is by accident. He uses even the sins of this world for our good. And that's exactly what we see. There are two particular promises that God has made in his word. At least two, but I'll bring out two. Concerning two promises concerning the table that God has prepared for us. One of them we read last week. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for for good to them who love God, 
to those who are the called according to his purpose. He doesn't say that all things that he leaves on the table are good. He says that all things work together for our good. This means even the bad things work together for our good and, of course, for his glory. The second promise is this. Relates to temptation. Paul writing to those in Corinth in his first epistle, chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful. There we see the shepherd that God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God has not removed every temptation from our table. We're living in a fallen and sinful world, aren't we? Yet he has given us new hearts so that we love the things that he loves and we hate the things that he hates. He has empowered us by his spirit to turn away from the bad. So when we walk in the spirit, we're empowered to walk as he walked apart from evil. We saw in verse four that the Lord uses the rod to drive the enemies away. But notice here in verse five, David said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Picture the shepherd preparing the table lands for his sheep. The sheep grazing on those grassy meadows. All the while predators lurk in the shadows. What a picture. The good shepherd preparing the table of nourishment for his sheep while the predators watch at a distance. They're at a distance. They're kept away. His rod keeps them away. We've seen that. But think of this. Who prepares a table for a wolf or a coyote or a lion or a bear? No one. But the good shepherd prepares a table for his sheep. Yahweh is our good shepherd and we are his sheep. And the table that he has prepared for us is exactly his perfect plan. Now I want you to understand this. This is not a picture of the sheep looking around and saying, na, 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 na. No. <laughs> These are not proud sheep. They're grateful sheep. This is the idea of sheep confident in the protection and the provision of the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd and nothing can happen apart from his sovereign plan. You see, this verse speaks volumes about our shepherd and his gracious provisions. It speaks volumes about his love and care for his own. It speaks volumes about our relationship to him. But it also speaks volumes about the enemies of his people, the enemies of the cross who remain under the judgment of God. What a distinction we see here. Verse 5 again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And that's where we will remain for the rest of the sermon. Again, during the long summer months, the shepherd would take his sheep far away 
to the high mountain tablelands that he prepared in advance. You know, it would seem that everything would be perfect now. The table is spread before the sheep in the presence of their enemies. This should be an intimate time between the shepherd and his sheep. They should be free to graze and rest in their provision. But there's a fly in the ointment. In the terminology of the shepherd, summertime is fly time. One of the most troublesome flies is the nose or nasal fly. These can turn the golden months into a time of torture for the sheep. The nose fly attempts to deposit their eggs on the damp mucous membranes of the sheep's nose. If successful, the eggs will hatch in a few days to form small, slender, worm-like larvae. And then these larvae will work their way up the nasal passages into the sheep's head. They burrow into the flesh, and it results in severe inflammation. The sheep begin to beat their heads against trees and rocks and brush, seeking relief. In extreme cases, a sheep may even kill itself in an endeavor to gain relief. Because of this, when the nasal fly just first appears, the sheep become frantic. They stamp their feet erratically and race from place to place, place to place, trying to elude the flies. They sometimes run until they drop from sheer exhaustion. Others toss their heads up and down for hours on end. Some will hide in the brush or woodland, away from the tableland, away from the flies. Some may refuse to eat at all. All this has a devastating effect on the sheep. They rapidly lose weight and drop, or lose condition and drop in weight, I should say. Ewes go off milking, and their lambs do not grow properly. Some sheep are injured in their panic, and others are killed outright on an occasion. But there's a remedy. There's a remedy, however that can make all the difference in the world. At the first sign of fly time, the shepherd would anoint the sheep, the head of the sheep in particular. Philip Keller writes this, I always prefer to use a homemade remedy composed of linseed oil, sulfur, and tar, which is smeared over the sheep's nose and head as a protection against nose flies. What an incredible transformation this would make among the sheep. Once the oil had been applied to the sheep's head, there was an immediate change in behavior. Gone was the aggravation, gone the frenzy, gone the irritability and restlessness. Instead, the sheep would start to feed quite quietly again, then soon lie down in peaceful contentment. They would lie down in green pastures. And isn't this the picture of the Christian life? It is so easy for there to be a fly in the ointment, especially when we're on the mountaintop. Just as the nasal fly affects the sheep's head, troublesome things affects the believer's mind. Things that seem overbearing. Small things, really, that bring us to the place that we sometimes feel like beating our head against the wall. Little things. Distractions. Things of the world. It could be anything, not necessarily something evil. It's anything that distracts us, that deters us from feasting upon God's truth and resting in his promises. 
It is these little things that gets us totally distracted from what God intends for us. If we get distracted, we end up obsessed with the frustrations of life. God's best for us becomes distant realities. These distractions overwhelm us and harm our Christian walk. You see, the good shepherd intends for us to rest in his provisions, to bask in the peace that he's provided, to walk in his ways, to trust in his comfort, and to feed on his table land that we might grow, that we might thrive, that we might have health, spiritual health. Anything that distracts us from God's perfect plan for us is a fly in the ointment. Yet the good shepherd has a provision even for this problem, his anointing. David wrote, you anoint my head with oil. Oil in the scripture is a picture of the spirit. Some think that since we are automatically, if we're born again, are indwelled by the spirit, that that's enough. But see, there's human responsibility here in the Christian walk, isn't there? We need to daily, continually be filled with the Spirit. That's what we saw when we were going through Ephesians. Remember Ephesians 5.18? And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Literally, but be being filled with the Spirit. Remember how that word filled is used in the New Testament? Three different ways. Like salt. Like salt. Like we get to that, like a sail is filled by the wind to move a boat along. We're to be moved along in our walk to sanctification. Like meat is permeated by salt. We're to be permeated with the very presence of God. And like one thing can control another, we are to be controlled by the spirit minute by minute, moment by moment. You see, this is intentional a submission to the indwelling Spirit of God, moment by moment, day by day, continually submitting to the Spirit. This means giving control of your mind to the Lord daily. The sheep needed to allow the shepherd to anoint their heads. So would we allow the the good shepherd to anoint us, giving us control over every thought? over every desire, trusting him to deal with those distractions in life, those flies in the ointment. When our minds are continually refreshed by God's Spirit, notice the blessings that come. Notice that our minds are no longer distracted by the little disturbances, but the peace of God comes as we look to the Lord. Isaiah, you know it well, chapter 26, 3 and 4. Speaking of the Lord, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Yahweh, is everlasting strength. And then Philippians 4, 6 and 7, a passage that I also love dearly. Paul writes in verses 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, 
that passes all understanding will guard. That word means to, it's a military word. It means to build a fort around, will build a fort around your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Stop being anxious and turn it over to the Lord. Trust him. There's a second way that oil was used. For the shepherd, summertime is not only fly time, it's scab time. Some of this is gross, isn't it? But it's the truth. These scabs are caused by microscopic parasites, causing basically a contagious disease common among sheep. And it spreads by direct contact between the sheep. Sheep often rub their heads together in an affectionate manner, but this spreads the parasite from sheep to sheep. Just like with flies, the antidote is oil, actually an oil mixture. Shepherds took great care to treat the head of each sheep daily or as needed. In Palestine, the old remedy for this disease was olive oil with sulfur and spices. In the Christian life, most of our spiritual Contamination comes through our minds, don't it? We often, it often happens when we try to get our heads together with someone that may not have the mind of Christ. Therefore, we develop, we pick up the contagion, the wrong thinking, our thoughts, our ideas, our emotions, our choices, our impulses, our desires are often molded through exposure to other people. In our modern era of mass communication, the danger of mass mind grows increasingly dangerous. Through mass media and peer pressure, young people in particular are susceptible. Often these contaminators are professing Christians, yet they deny him with their lives. No wonder the church is becoming more and more secular today. Do these traits sound familiar to you? Lovers of self, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's how Paul, writing to Timothy, describes the last days, what men will be like. And in the context, it's not the people of the world. They've always been that way. This is professing believers. And that's what we see today. These traits have become the norm in the church. They describe many, many professing Christians. And sadly, the contamination to some degree, has even affected the people of God. So what's the solution? What's the antidote? It's the same remedy. You anoint my head with oil. We need to be daily anointed with the oil of the Spirit of God. We need to submit to the Spirit, be controlled by the Spirit. That's the reality here. But how can we know that we're being led or being really controlled by the Spirit? How can we know that we are filled with the Spirit? Galatians 5 gives us undeniable evidences. The distinction between the works of the flesh 
and the fruit of the Spirit. Now the works of the flesh, Galatians 5.19, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, self-ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and of the like of which I tell you beforehand. Just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he gives us the fruit of the Spirit. These are the evidences that we're walking in the Spirit, not just indwelled by the Spirit, but walking in the Spirit, that we are filled with the Spirit. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. See the distinction? This is undeniable evidence. By their fruits you shall know them. If we want to live the Christian life free from the influence of this world, we need daily empowerment of God's gracious spirit. We need his leading. We need to submit to the Spirit of God. God does not want you to be one. Uh, God does not want for you as one of his sheep. What does God want for you as one of his sheep? I'm sorry. God wants to make us to lie down in green pastures. He wants to lead us beside the still waters. He wants to lead us in the paths of righteousness. He wants us to rest in his presence as we travel through the dark valleys. He wants us to graze on the tablelands that he has prepared for us. All the while, the enemies are looking on, unable to defeat the sheep, unable to destroy the sheep because of the good shepherd. But there's one other reason that the shepherd would anoint the sheep's head with oil. The summer gradually turns to autumn in the high country. Nights become cool. Foliage as these high elevations begin to turn and the earth prepares for winter. Insects, including those nasal flies, begin to disappear. In the flock, it is the season of the rut, of mating. Great battles ensue between the rams for possession of the ewes. Their necks swell and grow strong. They strut proudly across the pasture and fight for the favor of the ewes. The shepherd knows all about this. He knows that the rams can become injured and even kill themselves in battles. And he uses a very simple remedy. He catches each sheep and spreads thick oil on its head. Keller writes this, I used to apply generous Quantities of axle, axle grease, axle grease, that's what he used, to the head and nose of each ram. Then when they collided in their great crashing battles, the lubricant would make them glance off each other in such a, uh, in such a crazy way that they stood there feeling stupid and frustrated. <laughs> in this way, much of the heat and tension was dissipated 
and little damage done. Among God's people, sometimes there are battles that are downright dangerous. It is not uncommon for Christians not to see eye to eye. Some of these battles stem from pride. Sometimes pride on both sides of the aisle. Sometimes it's over petty preferences, things that are downright silly, that are worthless when it comes to the scheme of things. Sometimes it's theological, but usually the battle ensues not over fundamental or essential doctrines, but over things that are secondary that we should be able to disagree over. Any pastor can attest to the damage that can so quickly be done. Yet we are the body of Christ. The spirit of God lives in us. So again, the antidote is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It is to be filled with the spirit It is to be moved along unto holiness It is to be permeated with his presence. It is to be controlled by the spirit to die to self and to live for him, to continually surrender to him moment by moment, day by day. The apostle Paul brings this together and makes it perfectly plain in Galatians chapter five, a little bit further from where we were reading now in verse 25. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. There it is. Those who are filled with the Spirit put away petty differences. We seek unity and truth, striving for biblical harmony. Ultimately, it is those who are controlled by the Spirit that demonstrate that they indeed are the sons of God. Many today in the church walk In the flesh, they walk in darkness as a habit of life, demonstrating that they remain sons of Adam rather than sons of God. Their eyes are dark. A veil lies over their face. They do not see the beauty of the Lord. They do not understand his holiness, his glory. Therefore, they do not understand their own sinfulness because they have compared themselves one with another. They do not understand that they themselves deserve the wrath of God, his justice. They think that they're good enough because they compare themselves with others rather than comparing themselves to a God who's holy. They fail to realize that all have sinned and all fall short. All present tense continually fall short of his glorious standard. They do not believe that the wages of sin is death. They somehow think that they're going to escape the consequences of their sin. They think that they do not deserve to be cast into hell forever. But God is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, as we read. The Apostle Paul writes, for the wages of sin is death. Oh, that we would understand The consequences of our sins were fallen beings. The wages of sin is death. It's not just physical death, but eternal death. Not separated from God, but separated from his goodness, his mercy, and his grace. His patience is now gone. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. His eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
the Son of God took on human flesh 2,000 years ago. And after living a sinless life, fulfilling the law, he died a criminal's death on Calvary's cross. There he bore the wrath of sin, the wrath of God for sin. What was that? Okay. (laughs) That sounded weird. (laughs) But back to the truth here. There he bore the wrath of God for the sins of the elect, for those who believe. He took the wrath that we have earned. Think of that. For my sins and your sins. The cup of God's wrath was poured out on the Lord of glory so that he appeased God's holy justice. Therefore, he remains a just God and still can declare us righteous in his sight, making us his own dear children. He took our punishment and through faith alone, not by works which we have done, but by faith alone, our sins are forgiven and we receive the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is placed upon our account so that when God looks at you, if you are believing in him, if you have truly trusted in him, if you're born again, God looks at you and he sees you with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees you positionally perfect because his righteousness is given to you. And the command is simple. Repent and believe. It's really repentant faith, isn't it? As we study that out, we must be saved from our sins and their consequences. All that we might look to him in faith that we might believe upon him. If you have never believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never come to that place of repentance and turned to him, turned away from the things of the world, turned away from your own sinfulness and looked to him for salvation, you are still dead in your sins and you have no hope apart from him. But the gift of God. I love those conjunctions, those buts, but the gift of God. Thank God for the buts in Scripture. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper, let me remind you that communion pictures the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The unleavened bread represents Christ's sinless body that was broken by the wrath of God. Why was he broken? The wrath of God came upon him. And through the breaking of his body, through the bearing of those sins, we are brought into relationship, into the presence of God. The wine represents the cleansing blood of Christ. And just as wine in Scripture represents celebration, abundance, and blessing, It also represents judgment. It represents the wrath of God. And so here's the point. Jesus Christ took our wrath that we might have the blessings of such a good God. For by the shedding of blood, there is forgiveness of sin. Oh, that you would look to him if you don't know him. Jesus is the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. By grace alone, if you're here and you're saved, by grace alone, through faith alone, we have been brought into covenant relationship with God. His blood is the blood of the eternal covenant. We've been brought into the blessings of Abraham. All those promises summed up in the Abrahamic covenant, but also seen in the Palestinian covenant, Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. We've been brought into the blessings of God. All those promises are now a yes to us. We're children of the everlasting Lord. The apostle Paul, apostle John, excuse me, declared, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And such we are. May we prepare our hearts. May we examine ourselves this morning. Now, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, this is a time to contemplate what you have heard. Even the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you're saved, this is a time to worship. This is worship, folks. Communion is worship of the great God, our King, our Savior. We remember his death. But we must prepare our hearts. We should never take this lightly. This is not a ritual. This is a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we take it seriously, and may we deal with our own hearts any sin that besets us. May we deal with that this morning before we partake, so that we can partake in a worthy manner and do it for the glory of God. So let's take some time now, and let's worship the Lord in self-examination.